Welcome to FDF's latest podcast on the Passionate About Food and Drink series on the 7th election special. My name is Pete Robertson, I'm Chief Executive of FDF Cymru. Today, today I'm joined by Cathy Owens, who's previously been our First Minister Special Advisor, Neris Evans, who's been MS in previous Senates, and my colleague uh, Julie, a Public Affairs Manager. Today we'd like to spend about 30 minutes just exploring the election experience, what happens next, and then really get a, a sense of what policies we expect to see that affect the food drink sector in Wales. Um, so from a first perspective, I just wanted to ask Cathy and Neris, I know you've you've both been out there on the ground pounding the streets, and, and I suppose we start with you, Cathy, in terms of the campaign trail, what type of things that were engaging the voters, and was there any particular thing that made this, this election special? Well, I think reflect. I did a little bit of door knocking, um, and I guess that I found in the very marginal seat that I was in. I think that, firstly, having knocked in those seats in the last couple of years, I found that there was no longer any toxicity left with Labour in terms of, you know, we had been knocking up when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, and that's that's really gone now. People wanted um, to back Mark Drakeford. They had really bought into Mark as somebody who's cautious and sensible and, you know, he's a, yes, he's had a lot of profile during COVID, but I think it's also true to say the more people have seen him, the more people have liked him. And that's not necessarily the case with other leaders. And, you know, I think he's he's come into his own. He's not a, he's not a rock star politician. He's a bit of a nerd. But because he's not trying to be cool, he is quite cool. And, um, you know, I think he had a he had a really good response on, on the doorstep. That was absolutely no doubt. But also, I think where I was in a relatively marginal seat, the Labour Party had worked that seat pretty hard for a few years. And I don't think it's as, I don't think it's marginal anymore. So actually, it reflected a little bit of a shift, not just for the Labour Party. It wasn't just a case of just winning lots of marginals. I think we've had a shift in some of those seats that would be quite hard to change around. That's fascinating. So, for, so from your perspective, Nairis, how did you see things? Yeah, I think, you know, those are all fair points from Cathy. When I was knocking doors in a number of constituencies and the general feeling was, thank God we're in Wales and we've got a Welsh government that are doing things differently. Um, so, you know, every doorstep's different, every area you're in is different in terms of the local issues, but there was a recognition, uh, obviously, make no surprises. Uh, I was out canvassing for Plaid Cymru as a former Plaid Cymru assembly member and Cathy for the Labour Party. So uh, recognition from Plaid Cymru supporters that there was the right call to, to support Mark Drakeford and the Labour government in most of the coronavirus regulations and, you know, the lockdown restrictions. So then, you know, the question begs, why vote Plaid when it's actually Labour in, in, in charge uh, making these decisions? So, you know, those are some difficult conversations we had on the doorstep, but recognition as well in terms of you know, it's a difficult time and, um, you know, some of, some of those local issues coming through in certain areas as well. And what was happening for me was the re- the acknowledgement of the Senate as an institution that's devolved knocking doors in previous elections. Um, you know, a hyper percentage of those seats or those doors that we knock, you've got to explain that there's Assembly or now Senate and what it is and the powers it has and the difference it does make to people's lives. That barrier wasn't there. You know, in terms of increased awareness of we've got a Senate, we've got a government, and these are the decisions that the Senate and the government here in Wales can make over our lives. So the narrative around the discussion, I think that's reflected as well in terms of looking at the trends, that it was a Welsh election in that, in that sense, as in people were voting in 
um, response to Welsh issues and in response to how the Welsh government have responded to COVID and uh, the domestic agenda over the last couple of years, rather than following patterns that we've seen in other Welsh elections, where it tend to be kind of UK um, patterns of voting. So um, in that sense, things were different in this election. But, you know, it's a, it a tough election for Plaid and we can see that in the yeah. results. Yeah, I think I think that's one thing that really does stand out now, doesn't it? If you think about it, if you're looking at with the Welsh Labour election, they're not, you know, Keir Starmer is more than welcome to come, but he's not really a factor. The UK aspect it wasn't really a factor, it was very much Wales. I mean, one thing that surprised me was actually the turnout. Now, I know the turnout was a record, but after a year and a half of, you know, for, you know, mainline television for Mark Dreyfus and the government and specific impacts that people in Wales knew were being controlled by the Welsh government, you'd sort of hope that we'd get over the 50% turnout. And I just wondered what your thoughts on why we weren't able to make that happen. I, honestly, I don't think that's that's such a big deal. It was about the same turnout as Sadiq Khan in London. It doesn't really make, it doesn't give it less legitimacy. And, yeah. just, and let's not forget, you know, we're talking about us in Wales watching Welsh telly. That's fair enough. But, you know, we also read mostly newspapers that are written in England. And we've already had more coverage for the Buckley and Spen by-election than we've had for the Senate elections in the UK press. So, you know, we are it, we have this, this dual stream level of here, which which means uh, the turnout's always going to be lower, but it doesn't mean there's less legit legitimacy. Okay, that wasn't my point, Kathy. I wasn't thinking about legitimacy and the result. I understand that. I, I go back to uh, when when uh, Margaret Thatcher tried, uh, stopped the 1979 um, independence referendum in Scotland with 30% votes. So it's I understand these these things are different. I just thought I just expected more people to get involved. Yeah, I don't know, yeah, anybody interested in Welsh politics would obviously want more people to vote and, and, you know, we see the importance of it and sometimes can't understand why people don't or, you know, we need to better understand why people aren't engaged and even people registered to vote. So obviously 16 and 17 year olds um, got the vote in the, um, this election. They don't have the vote in Westminster election in Wales, but this is the first one here in Wales, which is great news. Um, but you know, not big numbers registering, and even of those registering, half of those turned out to actual vote. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunately where we're at. I think every it's a, it's a reflection of the system we're in, but it, people should be trying to make the case um, to increase the um, increase the turnout. But at the end of the day, with a short election period. Um, it's all about getting your vote out. And that's what the political parties were concentrating on, knowing where the support has been over the last couple of years and during that, you know, three, four weeks of door knocking because obviously everything else was not allowed uh, because of coronavirus. That is firming up your support, obviously identifying new support um, and making sure you get your vote out on the day. Okay. I mean, what, just, just to move on from that then, there, it's one of the other things that, that I noticed, and this could be the normal order of things, it'd be great to get your understanding, is, you know, out of the 60 members of the Senate, we've got 19 new members, even though there wasn't so many seats changed hands, only three, I think. So I just, it, I'm just keen to sort of, for you to go back to that time when, when you had first found out that you'd actually become a member of the Senate. What does it feel like? What sort of emotions and expectations are there as a new member of the Senate? Yeah, so although there's only three constituencies changed hand, we obviously got new um, 
members of the Senate standing down, but also we've got a, a churn on the list. So they are, you know, new seats in that regard. Yeah, so it's a bit of um, shock. Obviously, you're knackered because you've just been <laughs> knocking doors for the best part of a couple of years. It's slightly different now. Um, and it's the realisation. It's slightly different for me because I was a list member uh, and got elected and was a bit naive, really. Didn't think I would get elected. I thought... Plaid would win constituencies so I wouldn't get elected on the list but Plaid won four constituencies in the region and I still got elected as the fourth on the list um so a bit of like a wake-up call right okay and then it, then you kick into actually I've got a job of work to do it's up to Cardiff so the first thing you do obviously coronavirus probably all done by zoom now is have a group meeting so you meet your other new members of the senate mostly likely they all know each other anyway but I think the Tory group um there's quite a lot of new faces there so um everybody getting to know each other the chance for the leader to work out um, who's going to take what portfolios um and it's just the logistics then of it's a new job you know so I was fortunate I wor- I'd worked in the Senate beforehand so I knew where the cafe was to get my mm, coffee yeah knew the toilets were yeah exactly knew you know the security guards and the police and all the rest of it so it's just that logistics of okay you've got an office now and you know how do you just the, the security around it and the, the pattern of the week of that you know and you've also get got to recruit staff and I think that's one thing that maybe is a bit misunderstood is um it takes it takes a while to get your office and your staff in place so although organizations like FDF would be there you try and engage with new members they are like rabbit in a headlight now and obviously every political party has group staff that'll be able to support them but they won't have offices unless they're taking over from uh, an MS standing down um or you know another member losing so transferring staff over but they've got to recruit staff they've got to work out where they want their office they've got to find an office they've got you know all, all of that um so there's a lot of work to get up and running I don't think I had anything in place until September I had two temporary staff over the summer to get things done um so just a realization there in terms of it does take a while to get your head around things and I and I'd been there and understood the system um then it's getting to grips with the actual business and the work you need to do because you know the role of the member of the senate is is split into different functions really one is representing your communities be that a constituency or region um and uh, the other one is holding the government to account or obviously if you're labor party being uh, in government as well but in terms of the backbench ms it is you know there's a, a two distinct features of your role um some concentrate more on one than, than the other um it depends on i guess your role and uh, what you're interested in so you know the constituency stuff probably will be starting now uh, it's very different to the start of the Senate, but you know everyone's on Twitter, so pe- constituents yeah, can yeah. contact you on Twitter and say, "Oi, um, there's an issue here. Can you sort it out?" So there's the pressure on there to to be as engaging and open with constituents, but also the job of work then of holding the government to account. Obviously, we have a government because of COVID. Um, the rules did change, so the cabinet has continued in order to respond to the to the pandemic. Uh, but we're expecting uh, well, we, uh, first minister would be elected. Uh, this week, uh, cabinet um, announced we need a mini reshuffle at the very least because we've got a gap there in the education minister. And then it would be for the opposition party leaders to determine roles for their respective groups. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about different uh, parties and who we expect to be in different roles. Um, and then it's getting your head around that. Um, and an absolutely critical part of that would be to engage with organisations like FDF Cymru. 
remember when I got uh, promoted to be education spokesperson, um, obviously I'd been to school <laughs> and university, but <laughs> I had no knowledge of the sector. So um, I wrote out to every organisation I could think of within that sector to ask to meet, to upskill me and educate me in the world of education, uh, education policy, who's doing what, the shape of the sector, you know, and I would fully expect um, people taking um, portfolio areas in environment, in food policy, in um, rural affairs, in public health, you know, uh, to be wanting to speak to FDF Cymru um, and the great work you do representing your members um, to, uh, to make sure that they understand the sector. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting you talk about that particular portfolio brief because obviously Leslie Griffiths and Wrexham was one of the, the, the standout results in terms of expect, beating the expectations. You know, if we look at obviously that's the main portfolio that's that's priority for us, but also economy and, and the health portfolio are interested in food and drink. Do we expect, just to pass off Cathy, do you expect the Cabinet to take a hugely different, uh, have a different look about it? Or do you think it's going to be pretty steady given that stability has been a big part of the success of the Labour selection? I would say 50-50. So we're in a situation where the health minister is going to probably say the same because of the pandemic. Um, but I think that even with the level of continuity and the fact that actually, weirdly, Mark doesn't have the largest cast of characters from whom to choose um, in terms of the cabinet, I did always think that we might see a shift around Ken and Leslie. That's the economy role and the environment role, just because they had been in those jobs for a little while. And it might be a little bit of a time for refresh. So I can't be sure. We'll find out on Friday. Uh, but I think it, potentially we will see those those two roles changing, not because um, anything other than, you know, it is time for a little bit of a, of a renewal. Will we see a substantive change in policy direction? I don't think so. I think, I think this job, uh, you know, the environment minister's job, I think is actually going to be quite key in the next five years because... This is the minister that is going to have to deliver that sort of post-Brexit land use um, funding regime, uh, however you want to look at it. And I think that what we've seen in terms of the results, I, I, we haven't really talked about this very much, but I think this is the area which is where it's made most, most difference. So f I think my point would be, had we had a multi-party government that involves um, Plaid Cymru, uh, or potentially the Lib Dems, we might have had, had a, quite a different response you know, the Labour Party's um, ambitions for um, a, an environmentally led land use regime would have been tempered somewhat by the electoral cohort, the farmers unions and others that, you know, significantly back Plaid Cymru. Now, I think we might see some form of stability pact that doesn't necessarily involve this, this portfolio, but possibly could. But I just think it gives the Labour Party a little bit more legroom to be able to introduce the changes that they want, to be able to tackle pollution, to be able to um, change the way that we fund um, uh, food producers and farmers in Wales. Uh, they will try to do so with, with some sort of consensus, but I, I've been really disappointed in the last few years um, by the way that that debate has happened in Wales. And I think the Labour Party now have the Labour, Welsh Labour government has a little bit more legroom to do what it seeks to do. Okay, just just to take that bit, that part forward then, in terms of the construction of the Senate, obviously uh, the Conservatives have, have, have taken on the second place. And I, I, I won't ask you this question there, so I'm better asking Cathy. I think, what would you see? Would does that change the dynamic here, Cathy, in terms of Conservatives being second? 
No, they've been second for a while, you know, because of the numbers, the changeover in, in the Senate. And really, that I don't think it has such a significant difference, frankly, because we're in a, effectively a three-party state. I think uh, something to look out for. So, you know, Mark has a working majority of one. And I, when I when I worked there, we're actually in a minority government. But um, we used to take things to the floor of the House, depending on how pregnant Kirsty Williams was. You know, it really, mm. the numbers are so small that you're, you know, if one of your Labour members is, is ill, then you've lost your majority. So. Um, you know, we're not in the, in the realms of coalition. We're not at looking at a confidence and supply agreement that was quite substantial in the way that we did it uh, five years ago with Ply Camry. Um, but Mark will, will want to seek some form of extra additional stability over and above just just relying on doing a trade-off between the Lib Dems and Ply Camry on a, on budget day in, in October, November. So he'll look for that additional stability. I'm describing it as a stability pact, which is far less comprehensive than the compact we had. But, you know, might involve one of those parties working with Mark in order to get a couple of things through from their manifesto and to give the stability for that budget deal. So, you know, it could be around the Lib Dems and all Plaid Cymru around £10 um, wage for social care. It could be potentially around this arena in terms of land use regimes and funding. So it would be interesting, you know, Mark doesn't have to do it straight away. He's got a few weeks, he can sit back. He can, he'll, he'll, he'll probably announce his new cabinet on Friday. And, and then he'll reach out and have those discussions with the other parties about what, what they would seek in, in, a, in, in that, that sort of deal. Um, and, we'll, and, you know, and then he'll seek to deliver that stability, I think, uh, because it is just on the knife edge when you only have a working majority. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. I mean, clearly, I mean, clearly, there's a huge range of policy priorities around the COVID recovery, health, and education. Is obviously the massive challenges. The legal system's got massive challenges. However, I'm just keen to sort of tone it down and explore the pace and the likely direction of policies impacting the food and drink sector. I mean, if if we started with uh, COVID recovery, I'll just turn to you, Neris, and I'm going to bring Julie, my colleague Julie, into the conversation at this stage. What sort of what do you think the Welsh government's going to be looking at doing to to help our sector in the COVID recovery? Well, I think in terms of reopening hospitality, which is kind of indirectly, but, you know, in terms of the supply chain, we're expecting an announcement this week uh, on that. And I know the sector's, you know, long waited for that. Um, so the review happened, well, the Cabinet met yesterday um, on Monday and um, the announcement will be on Friday. Um, so in terms of uh, business support, I think... Um, First Minister being quite clear that he wants to continue with that, but a lot of it depends, I guess, on the furlough system in England and and any uh, access Welsh businesses can have to, for that. Uh, in terms of food and drink manufacturing specifically, if you look at their manifesto, um, you know there are some stuff, big stuff in terms of export strategy, community food schemes, and things like that. So, you know, I think it's steady as it goes as we release from lockdown first of all before any big um, policy initiative. Um, that we're likely to see. So, you know, from the manifesto, we will have a programme for government, but as Cathy said, in terms of rushing to make any big decisions, there's no rush to create uh, that programme of government because, you know, the government is still functioning, it's still carrying on, it's still supporting businesses and organisations through COVID. Um, so we'll expect to see that in the coming weeks, possibly months, the programme of government. So that's going to be based on their manifesto uh, and the key policies there. And can I add to that? I mean, I, I think I would have all, you know, we, 
we would also be looking at a Labour government moving swiftly towards changes in things like packaging and plastics and recycling. However, we've got a bit of a, a bit of a, a problem here, but a bit of an obstacle with the internal market bill. And I don't think they are going to be able to move until that internal market bill is sorted mm-hmm. out, because I think that bill has a bigger impact on what this portfolio is all about and what the Labour government would seek to do than any other area. Uh, so I really do think, I know we haven't been talking about the internal market bill, I know it's a minority sport, but you know, I really do think that that this is the area which is where it's going to have uh, so much impact and I think we haven't really explored it enough. Cathy, I would say to you, if you want to know, talk more about the um, internal market bill, speak to my colleague David Thompson from Scotland. He's all over that topic and he happily speaks to you about it for hours. Um, I'm going to pass over to Julie now. Julie, on the COVID recovery, thoughts? Um, I was just going to say it's very much welcome what was in the Welsh Labour manifesto about business support um, and, and what Neris was saying about the export action plan and different strategies being taken forward. But um, I, I was just thinking about as that as we were just talking about it, that one of the key things that would make a big difference for food and drink manufacturers is something we included in our priorities for the next Welsh government. Um which was about when they're considering about all the upcoming regulation to kind of take a look at what is being introduced across all the departments, what's happening at a UK wide level, because right now we're facing quite a lot of uh, regulatory upcoming regulatory challenges, which is going to have a huge cost and just lots of implications to actually uh, put it in practice. And the Welsh Government really should uh, be considering whether how how they can support the sector to make sure that their economics they are economically sustainable to be able to withstand all that regulation as well, especially as we're moving towards COVID recovery now. Yes, I think as you mentioned that it's this all this all this all three pillars of sustainability, isn't it? Economic, social, and environmental. And it takes us nicely to the next area I want to talk about because clearly net zero environment, Welsh government has been in the vanguard of this area, there's no doubt about it. First government in the world to declare a climate emergency, it's number three recycling nation in the world. And obviously we've got carbon budgets to be submitted by the end of the year. This feels like a massive area where we're definitely going to see some some traction. Let's go back to you, Cathy, if that's okay. What type of direction and how quickly do you think Welsh government will look to move? Honestly, I have to say, I'm going to be a little bit challenging here. I think the Food and Drink Federation and other organisations are going to have to take a step back and look at this result and actually say, this is a pretty significant endorsement for additional regulations in Wales for Wales. And I really do think that that is something that organisations are going to have to take on board. We see a lot of UK organisations making the case for uh, reduced divergence across the UK and I'm afraid you know these results that we've had across the UK have, have endorsed the absolute opposite of that direction of travel so I think that we're all going to be working in a more flexible way across the UK I think that we are going to accept that you know those regulatory changes are going to be required to tackle climate change on on, on, on a much uh, in a much more, uh, quicker way I think we should embrace those. I think producers and others should come to the table with their um, with with positive ideas in place for which regulations are going to make the biggest difference uh, to the way that we uh, uh, steward the environment in Wales. 
I just, if you don't mind, I'll just respond to that one quickly, Cathy, because obviously FDF Cymru's just put its foot down in Wales in the last last year or so. So FDF as an organisation recognised that we need to maximise our presence in Wales, just like we do in Scotland, just like we do in England and our associations with Northern Ireland. So we fully recognise that there's a need for a different approach and a, a, and a coordinated approach in Wales. So don't don't think that that's not something that we're fully aware of. Um, Julie, thoughts? Um, I was just going to say in, in the run up to COP26, um, yes, kind of decarbonisation and going towards net zero obviously will be a very big priority um, and uh, kind of um, we will be looking to engage with the Welsh Government there. There's all the, we, we've been very supportive with the kind of the ambitions for the Welsh Government, well, Wales even, to be the number one recycler um, in the world. So we'll be looking at what measures come out from that. Obviously, there's the UK level consultations happening at the moment, which will Wales will, may have a different take, but that's all kind of as a UK consultation at the moment with reforms to extended producer responsibility and the introduction of a deposit return scheme that we'll be responding to. Um, but yes, very much on a, uh, I know, especially in this area with climate change and, but especially recycling, Wales does want to kind of go on its own way because it is a bit um, further on than the rest of the UK. And, and yet, I think the Internal Market Bill, you know, will have an impact on whether we can do DRS at all. Um, and I think that hasn't been resolved. So I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, area to consider, you know, that, that the issue around packaging, the issue around recycling, I think is going to be the test bed for whether the Internal Market Bill will work. I don't, dis I don't disagree with that. Uh, Neris, your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, the, there are UK-wide consultations where the Welsh Government are part of, but um, yeah, it, there's there's a long road ahead and uh, we need to see how the UK Government responds to some of those things. And as Cathy as, as said, it's not necessarily because it's a UK-wide consultation that the, that the results of it would be a UK-wide scheme. We've already seen um, kind of that uh, trial in, I think it's Conwy. Um, so Welsh Government, you know, very ambitious in this area and are likely to, to put their own stamp on it. So if you look back at their manifestos, the, the government, the Labour manifesto was clear about legislating to abolish um, single-use plastics and introduce an extended producer responsibility scheme. Um, but as with everything, the devil's in the detail, isn't it? It's easy to put a, a line in the manifesto, but actually working out how it how it will work, um, the impact on the industry, you know, how it actually comes together. That's um, that's all being worked on with officials and that will continue because there's no, I don't think any deviation from what the previous Welsh Government was doing uh, on these areas. But now it's a renewed uh, mandate for Welsh Government to get on with um, some of those key policies. Yeah, I mean, in terms in terms of the whole net zero thing, from the, looking at the food and drink sector, you know, we've got some significant challenges of trying to bring it together. Because you're absolutely right. If you look at the the emissions just on, on a rough guide for the overall sector, if you take the the scope one and two, effectively emissions inside of the factory, they're at fifteen percent of the total emissions. So one of the things that the sector needs to, needs to do and will be doing is try to come together to find out how does it deal with that other eighty five especially in especially in, in logistics and transport sense for example so i think what we're probably going to look at is a completely new way of working i think you're absolutely right about the holistic perspective Neris. this this topic is 
across everything. You know, it's, it's people's behaviour as much as business behaviour. There's so many different areas to look at. So I think this is going to be a huge focus. The whole decarbonisation agenda is going to be a massive focus. Um, I think we can see in the manifest as well, there's quite a lot of emphasis on local food procurement and yeah. community food uh, growing schemes and community food um, strategies. I think it comes back to a discussion that we've had um, with FTF before about, OK, the understanding of the sector in Wales and, of course, local food growing and food miles and supporting that production locally is really important. But that raising that awareness of the scale of the industry in Wales and the shape of food manufacturing as well. So I think that would be a challenge um, for FDF Cymru over the next Senate term, just increase the awareness of who's doing what in Wales and, and the shape of the sector and um, how you fit into kind of that manufacturing um, sector here in Wales and obviously the Welsh Government's support for that. No, absolutely. That's something that's very much on, on the table. It's one of the things over the last year I've noticed, you know, having been a food manufacturer myself for 10 years, you think people understand what it is. And then you talk to them and actually they don't really understand what it is. And it's obviously the thing about food in Wales, predominantly smaller businesses. OK, that's fine. Artisan businesses with great quality and, and, and food offering. But it's very it's spread right across the, the, the country. So what you've then got is creating that as a net zero business model is quite difficult because it's, it's various different transport challenges for sure. Um, I think there's definitely a feel that the procurement policy, you know, if if government is, is feeding the health sector and the education sector, then I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be looking to procure that in Wales more than they are at the moment. I think that's definitely something we're looking to see. Okay, so just to move on then to another another topic, which I found was a we had a hustings event, if you remember, before the elections, and one of the real powerful area powerful areas, and Cathy's mentioned it to a certain degree in terms of the regulation, was the 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 need for industry and government to balance regulation with innovation to tackle the obesity challenge. I mean, in terms of what's what perspectives, Julie, if I come to you first, what sort of perspectives do you, do you see in that area? Um, so. With the, world, the Welsh Government has been working on a healthy weight, healthy wealth strategy um, for kind of, I think it's been in process, in, but we haven't seen the consultation for a while, at consultation yet, um, but we expect it this year. Um, we're taking forward similar measures that we've seen um, being proposed in England and in Scotland about regulating price promotions and um um, mandating calorie labelling for instance but beyond that we don't really have a direction about what further measures could be introduced. Um, I think this is a good opportunity as the, as the Welsh Government consult on this policy area to for FDF Cymru to take the learnings that we that FDF Scotland have had with their conversation with the Scottish government in this area and and in Westminster as well because what we really want is to make sure that any measures that tackle obesity are actually effective in d doing that um, because the measures being proposed could have well will have significant implications on the industry. Um, I'm just thinking about how the process has been happening in Westminster for instance with their proposals for the measures by um, uh, restricting the promotion of so uh, kind of take back a bit it's about restricting um, high fat salt sugar products um, and essentially those measures will stop food and drink manufacturers promoting reformulated products and um, obviously there's been a big reformulation agenda so actually how can the Welsh government 
maybe do something similar where those reformulated products can still be promoted. So we'll be looking forward to having those conversations with the Welsh Government as they put together their policy thinking. Okay. Cathy, your thoughts on that area? I don't want to bore on about this, but the Internal Market Bill is quite an important element of this discussion. Because if you you think about it, I mean, firstly, you know, we just endorsed a government here in Wales that's very happy to regulate these issues and to go further and faster. And the opposition would probably be with them as well, actually. Um, But, you know, if you you did take it to its extreme, if the Welsh Government tomorrow introduced a new measure for producers in Wales could only sell some product which has got X amount of sugar in it, the theoretically because of the internal market bill, the UK government could overturn that for English traders, and that only Welsh traders would have to follow those rules. It is bonkers, and until we sort that out, we are not going to know exactly what we are going to be able to deliver here in Wales. Okay. And the Labour manifesto didn't have um, detail on this in it, um, so we can take it that it was Healthy Way to Healthy Wales that was out in October would be kind of the the, the overarching strategy um, and within that you know there are goals by 2030 um, and not any specific targets in that way in terms of we will legislate or we will press regulations purely for the point that Cathy made as in need to see the powers and not being undermined by uh, the internal markets bill but you know the direction of travel is quite clear in terms of reducing the amount of uh, foods in high fat salt and sugar um, I, I just add that test case issue is quite important because I think the High Court recently, um, the Welsh Government lost a case yeah. to prejudge what might be in the Internal Market Bill. So unfortunately, we're going to have to spend a lot of time and energy and thought and money in introducing a new measure in Wales, which then will be tested afterwards uh, in the courts. And I think that's the wrong way of doing it, frankly. But that's the position that we are in because of the Internal Market Bill. You know, it's, it fully is very clear that the intention of the UK government is to not allow devolved government to introduce any measures that would restrict trade of English traders. That's the situation we're in. And I think that's going to, you know, it really is going to be a, a right royal row over the next uh, couple of years. Again, I don't disagree with that. I think it's going to be a fascinating sector. The whole the whole uh, constitutional aspect of things is going to be something quite special for the coming times. Okay, so clearly there's a lot of F- there's a lot for FDF Cymru to get its teeth into to support the sector to try and help us find it find a common way through. I just wanted to pass on to Julie. In terms of Julie, FDF Cymru, you are obviously leading our efforts in this area in terms of engaging with Senate ministers and members of the Senate for the weeks and months ahead. Neris has brought to life the fact that probably they have a few heads still spinning and there'll be a few people getting right on with it because they're they're back in the seat they were in before. What sort of thoughts and plans do you have over the coming weeks and months? Um, So our plans are kind of to, as kind of the members of the Senate kind of get settled in their roles, is make those introductions kind of explain who FDF Cymru are, what the value of the food and drink manufacturing sector is in Wales and how important it is to the Welsh economy. Um, and we'll be looking to see, uh, meet with those uh, MSs who will have sites in their constituencies um, and also trying to bring members to host store visits when um, uh, uh, site visits when hopefully um, th- that's allowed kind of as we ease through the COVID restrictions and actually build those relationships with the new members. Um, 
and also explore how else we can promote food and drink in in uh, in the Senate and um, whether we take forward something similar to the all party parliamentary group on food and drink that we have in Westminster and do something similar um, with engaging with MSs that way too. Well, yeah, I think it's. I think to be honest with you, Joe, that sounds great. I mean, it's going to be nice to get out and meet people, isn't it? And just try and talk through these issues. There's clearly a huge number of issues for the sector. Uh, you know, we're, we're the second largest employer in terms of manufacturing sector in Wales, so there's clearly a, a fairly significant impact that we can make. And I'm really looking forward to trying and helping you work with you make that happen. Um, so we've just we, we planned for 33 minutes. We're just at 34, which is which is not bad. I won't take no credit for that as the chair. Um, I just wanted to say thanks to Cathy, thanks to, to Neris and Julie for joining me on this edition of our election podcast. And just let you know that we're going to do a webinar so you can hear, see some charts, get some statistics, and we can take you through this in a bit more detail on the 19th of May. If you if you're interested, please sign up at fdf.org.uk, and we look forward to seeing you and chatting with you through a Q and A on the 19th of May. And from that, I'll say thank you very much, Joe.